Hi, I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast Committed, The Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, change maker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur, or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory. Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their business and marriage. Today's episode covers so much ground with Mark and Marge McLean. You just can't distill the wisdom of 35 years of marriage and decades of multiple ventures into 20 minutes. So listen in two parts if you need to, or catch the takeaways episode that will follow, but don't miss it. Mark wanted to be an attorney, but as often happens, doors close and were forced to try avenues we didn't think we were even good at. Mark went from budding careers at IBM, then HP in California, to a startup in the faraway land of Texas. Mark is currently the CEO and founder of SailPoint, New York Stock Exchange, colon, Sale, a leader in the enterprise identity management market. He has led the company from its beginnings in 2005 through its venture capital and PE-backed stages to its IPO in 2017, as it grew from a team of three people to over 1,200 employees in over 35 countries. His recent book called Joy and Success at Work, Building Organizations That Don't Suck the Life Out of People, unpacks ideas for creating culture that places people at the heart of a successful business. Listen for the ways Mark and Marge have learned to accommodate each other as opposite personalities, how they view risk in a startup, what helps them through hard times and their guiding principle that has led to success in all areas of life. Mark and Marge, welcome to the show. How are you guys this evening? Great. We're doing great. Thanks, Kathy. Fun to be here. Good, good, good. I love how we shift. They were talking about how <laughs> they've had a difficult day, but it's like, we're going to put on our show face. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys so much. And we want to just let our guests get to know a little bit about you guys first. And so I have some fun questions that I like to ask couples. First one is, if your marriage was a team sport, what would it be? Should we go with your answer before we got on? I guess. <laughs> I was going to say something like tennis, doubles tennis, where we compliment each other. But Marge said maybe ice curling, you know, that ridiculous sport in the Winter Olympics that no one can understand why it's a sport. Mm -hmm. Partly because one guy's job is to 
push the big stone thing, they call it, and ridiculously slowly slide. That would probably be my job. Because the other person's job is to do the little broom thing and sweep. And Marge loves to clean, it turns out. So <laughs> like, she'd be the little sweeper uh, person and I'd be the pusher person. And that actually kind of fits us, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Because I think we definitely, in our marriage, divided what we do. That's like, true. Took on certain roles. It worked out for us and that those, way. That sport, those two roles couldn't be more different. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So like from the beginning, were you guys real yeah, intentional we were, about... I really wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And Marcia been an uh, anthropology major, incredibly practical uh, yes, college degree. degree. <laughs> so she wasn't sure what she was going to do with that afterwards. And I guess we'll yeah. get to how we met in a second. But yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, yeah. That there was a reason that she kind of went down that track. And I also, I my mom was a stay-at-home mom for the most part. And so it was just a value that I really had. And in the yeah. 80s when we got married, it was very much the working woman or the stay-at-home mom. There was almost a... Tension. Yeah. A media fight kind yeah. of going on. Yeah, yeah. Kind of remember there was a book that somehow circulated through our church and a few other sources called What's a Smart Woman Like You Doing at Home? Yeah. I'll always remember the title of that book. And it was written by these three women who all had masters and PhDs yeah. and who had chosen to stay home. And they were sort of having to defend that choice at the time of that culture, right? Like the thought was, and I think today we're hopefully in a little better place where there seems to be more mutual respect. Some women who have lots of education or, or experience and work choose to stay home. Other women mm -hmm. choose to go back and, and both choices are, I think much more accepted and respected. It has sort of been like all women stayed home and then all women were supposed to go to work. <laughs> yes. And then, and, that, and then it took us a little while to kind of try to get to a place where there is hopefully more balance in that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah true. I, I have a master's degree and there was a man that said one time, I think I, I worked and then I was home some. So we, some of that depended on what Mark was doing, but our journey was up and down. And I primarily wanted to be with them, but I wanted to work too. I wanted my mind challenged and, yeah. you know, something about preschoolers just kind of um, will suck you dry, you know, even though I loved a lot of it. But this man said, well, what a waste of an education. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I I would have to disagree. I was yes. like, is there something wrong with a bright, educated woman raising children? I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's too bad that we've had this kind of yeah. either or approach. And Well, I think it's less like that now. And I probably have less of that attitude now that I'm a lot older. I, yeah. I think early on, if you had asked us, we weren't sure how my career was going to develop. I think Marge would have thought like her mom and my mom actually had been full-time stay-at-home moms when we were young and then had both worked later on when we were like teenagers. And that, mm -hmm. I think March would have thought, that's probably what I'll do. You know, we'll kind of be at home with the early stages and then maybe work later. She, like you, had thought about going for an advanced degree at one point. And yeah, just the, the path ended up not going that way. But Yeah, as with much of life, right? Exactly, exactly. I had a couple that I did an interview with recently and he was talking about the value of our spouse seeing our strengths that sometimes mm -hmm. we don't see and how great it is to have that cheerleader, somebody that cheers mm -hmm. us on when we're down or having a bad day or even if we're having a good day, but they can see the best in us. I'm curious what you see about the other. What would you see as like a superpower of the other? I think for Mark, he's very even keeled on the happy plane. Like he's <laughs> up here on the happy plane. And so he rarely 
goes down. He rarely dips down about things that he just, that's just not in him to do that. And we have a daughter. One of our kids is like that. That's just not her thing. She doesn't go into the depression zone. And um, so that's a superpower of him because mm. I think he doesn't get derailed by things that other people get derailed, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not always understood because he has this sense of humor. And so I think they could think he's just, you know, he should be reacting more to something in a more negative way. And, um, but it's helped him with leadership really immensely okay yeah i I think marge is an incredible student of people like she she's less outgoing than me but partly i think because she's always she was an anthropology major and i think there was a reason she picked that right kind of it's the the study of people in groups effectively right sociology anthropology that whole family and i think she she's always incredibly observant about what's happening and the inner dynamics she was very astute as our kids were going through especially some of the challenging teen years of when, when they needed what, right? Sometimes they needed a kick in the pants. Sometimes they needed a hug. Sometimes I would get those two backwards. Um, and so I think there was a sense of, she just has always been a very, like, if I'm not sure about people, I'll kind of go, what do you think of that person or that relationship or that? Like she'll cut, cut right to the heart of what's going on. She's got a very, very good sense of people. Yeah. So, awesome. Was- Okay. Well, give us a little snapshot of the McLean family currently. Where do you guys live? You have kids? Are they grown? Yeah, we live in downtown Austin in a high rise as empty nesters. We have three adult children. Our son, who's the oldest, is 32, and he's married and has three kids. And he's a high school teacher and football coach in Texas. And he's just always, that's always what he wanted to do. And then oh, our cool. little daughter is married to her, her husband and they have two children and they live in South Austin and our, our son lives like North Austin with his family. And then we have a youngest daughter who's married and they have their first daughter and they live in Birmingham, Alabama. She and her okay. And if you're in track, that's five grandkids in Austin and one so in Birmingham. Sick. Wow. <laughs> what a rich life. Mm-hmm. Very, very blessed. That is great. And how long have you guys been married? 35 years. And five, seven days. Seven days. <laughs> seven <laughs> days. Congratulations. What did you guys do to celebrate? We were down at the beach in Florida. Just mm. the two of us. Usually it's a group thing, but we did the two of us. Yay. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That is really a great celebration. Yeah. Yeah. And so Marge, you were saying you you have not worked outside of the home. Your job was in the home. I I never want to say you didn't work. It's like you worked a lot, like seven days a week. I used to say my job was getting juice in those little Tupperware sippy cups. That was my job. I get juice (laughs) all day long. We give them water. So I, I mean, yeah, your, your, your work got obsoleted, you know, over time. (laughs) Yes. They grew up, they moved away. And so what, what do you focus your time on now? How do you, what's a rhythm of your day? Well, let's see. I, I'm a slow person in the morning. I have to have my wake up time where I run into walls. <laughs> I really do. Like I can't focus. It takes me a little while to get it going. And then I've had to work on, you know, like 
exercise and health because being I'm 58 now, so I uh-huh. need to take care of that or it's because I want to be strong enough to help with the grandkids and pick them up and uh-huh. grab them from running out in the street if I have to. And, and then I spend one day a week with one family if I'm in town helping with the grandkids and then another day a week. And then I'll travel and help with my daughter in Alabama. So okay. I do a lot of that. And then I do some volunteer stuff at church. And then I just started volunteering at Community First, which is a tiny homeless home community. That's mm-hmm. really a neat program. Mm-hmm. So I started helping with that a little bit once a week. So, And Mark is extremely extrovert and a very busy guy and I just find myself signed up for things all the time that I haven't signed up for. So, uh oh, <laughs> I I mostly remember to ask almost almost always. <laughs> or is it easier to ask forgiveness than permission? Or for the first about twenty years that worked, and then for the last fifteen, not so much. So she's I'm, like, I'm on to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm learning. Permission is now more important than it used to be. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get a little bit of your story. And and Mark, I know you've you've been interviewed a lot about the businesses and everything, and we'll get like a, a brief overview, but I want to get to the beginning of your story. Hmm. When you guys married, did you guys meet in college or how did you meet? We met right after college in okay. 1984, both working and volunteering for the LA Olympics, the hmm. Summer Olympics. So we had both just graduated from college and it was this program that you could apply through your college as seniors to work at the Olympics. And we both happened to do that. At from our, different colleges. We didn't yeah. know each other. We didn't. He was oh. in San Diego and I was up at the Claremont Colleges in California. So, yeah, I know where that is. We yeah. used to live in Upland. Well, Rancho oh. Cucamonga. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. there. Yeah. March went to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Claremont. And yeah. I went to Point Loma, a little uh, Christian school down in San Diego. Uh-huh. Okay. So, we both okay. kind of thought we had graduated college unattached, which we technically had, and kind of had both just ironically signed up for this thing. And it was we it was we had to write an essay, and it was being a page at the Olympics. But then it turns out we actually did the award ceremonies. So hmm. I carried the gold medal on the pillow in '84 for track and field, and he raised wow. the flags for swimming and diving. And and then we got to be in the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies. You know, we wore these dresses by Bob Mackey that were like Southern Belle looking and we waved to the crowd. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And they were our escorts and we released doves. I mean, oh. it was very fun. <laughs> it was a super fun thing for recently graduated college seniors who yeah. weren't quite sure what they're going to do next to do. Go hang out at the Olympics for three yes. weeks. And yeah, well, what a great life fun. opportunity. Oh, it yeah. Was. So awesome. Yeah. So and I, I spied her. Uh, early on in some of our training stuff we were doing and I begged the lady who ran our program to get me her phone number and she wouldn't do it. And I, I, I demonstrated my early sales prowess by selling her on why she should give me that phone number <laughs> and uh, got her phone number. And yeah, we, we went out on one epic first date after having met briefly at one of the Olympic event things. And then like, after like that epic first date, we were both like, Ooh, this could get serious. Epic, <laughs> epic, first so was, epic first date was the beach for six hours 
then Disneyland for eight hours, then sitting in her driveway parked and talking for like three hours. Literally, our first date was like 19 hours. <laughs> it was a marathon. It was a marathon. Yeah. It was like, I really like hanging out. And with I met person. your family. I had to go to his house, change into a bikini to go to the beach <laughs> and meet his parents all on the first date. That was, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> That was a lot going on. Yeah, Yeah. It's amazing we survived that first few weeks. But yeah, Yeah. pretty serious, pretty fast. We were both living in L.A. uh, at that time. And then, yeah, got engaged and and lived in L.A. early on in our marriage. And yeah, we'd go from there. But it was was kind of a, I tell people, it was a lot more fun than telling people you met your spouse at Taco Bell or McDonald's. Like, yeah, Yeah. you know, (laughs) sounds so cool. That's a fun story. So when you got married, I read somewhere, Mark, that your initial plan was to go to law school. Mm -hmm. And so what were the expectations about work and what were you doing, Marge? And fill us in what work looked like. I was working for the Olympics selling tickets. Also, I needed a job to stay that summer because I, my family was in Hawaii. So I had support my stay there. And he did not have a job and was waiting to find out about law school, waiting to find out about law school. And yeah, so what my parents weren't too impressed. The first, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. They're like, I'd gone to some little no name Christian college. Her parents were sort of Ivy I, leaguers. Yeah. I had okay. no job. I was living at home with my parents because I'd come back home yeah. waiting to figure out what was going to happen next. Got wait so the the law school Kathy I got wait I only applied to UCLA and UC Berkeley I kind of thought if I'm going to go I'm going to go to some of the best schools in the LA or California I should yeah. say, area yeah. and I got waitlisted at both and ultimately didn't get into either so I didn't oh, find that out till late that summer I'm like uh oh I guess I got to get a job <laughs> <laughs> so kind of started down the path of looking for a job and back to the I wasn't an entrepreneur I found with some family connections and then some interviews and a whole bunch of longer story. My first job was at IBM in 1985, which at the time was a coup, like working for IBM in the eighties. It was, it mm-hmm. was, it was a you big deal it for life. You yeah. got in. Yeah. It, for it was like a very difficult place to get a job. It was, it was, I would tell the young people, Hey, it was kind of the Google Facebook of its day. I know you don't think mm-hmm. that now, but in 1985, IBM was the biggest, baddest, technology yeah. company there was. And I was like, yeah. super awesome. I got a job here. I'll work here for 35 years. I'll maybe get to move up the ranks a little bit and retire yeah. yay, with a pension. And, and his, <laughs> yeah. his parents were not in the business world. His mom did teaching and his dad was a social worker. Social worker. So this, oh. they had no idea. Yeah, they were the, the furthest thing from business or entrepreneurial. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no, no yeah. business heritage there. No family business heritage. They couldn't couldn't believe. Uh, we'll get to the later story of becoming an entrepreneur. They could not yeah. believe I was going to leave places like I, I like yeah. HP. That I would leave a place like IBM or HP, big, stable, you know, predictable company. Why would you ever leave that and go take a flyer on? small business. Why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So let's go there. How did you make that jump? Well, part of my perspective was my dad did was in the Navy. And Mm. that's how I ended up growing up in Hawaii. But he got out when I was like four and went into the reserves. And then he did new business development, a lot of like ocean technology and in the energy field, electric vehicles, hydrofoil. So he was he had that going on and 
my mom was very supportive of all that. So I grew up seeing that the higher risk type of job. And there's one time in, he took a job with Boeing in Seattle that didn't work out. And we ended up during the energy crisis and it was through hydrofoils and that didn't fly. So we don't have hydrofoils very many today. So he was at without work or doing consulting. So I saw him not have work because he took a risk and my mom had to go back to work because of it. So I had that understanding of what that all meant is basically what I'm saying. Cause I saw it growing up. In other words, I was the one who ultimately decided I would sort of take the risk of being entrepreneurial, but I don't know that I would have done that if Marge hadn't sort of said, I, I could get behind this. Cause in my family, I don't, if, if, I love my mom. She she died many years ago, but like mm-hmm. my mom, had she been my wife, would not have been supportive of this. I don't think right? it was yeah. not one of the cloth that she and her family and my dad's family had ever come out of. They just had never done those kinds of things. And so the fact that I had had a pretty good early run in these corporate type jobs, but kind of came to the conclusion this just wasn't where I really wanted to be, started talking about initially, by the way, the, the, the interim story was I left after 10 years at IBM and HP in California, what got us to Texas, to Austin, was a, a then fairly high-flying startup here in Austin called Tivoli, one of the early tech success stories in Central hmm. Texas. Kind of, you know, most people think tech in Central Texas only happened in the last 10 years. It's been around for a longer time, but it wasn't real big back then. Yeah. And so this was one of those early successes. So I came from having worked at these giant corporations. Tivoli had, I think, 200 people when I came and joined it. So it was like, you know, orders and orders of magnitude smaller than where I had been. And I got the bug. I'm like, this is fun. So mm-hmm. stayed there for a while. Tilly grew really big, turned out actually to get acquired by IBM. Funny twist of fate. But I sort of had the bug at that point. So then ultimately some friends and I did leave to start a company in 2000. But by then I sort of had a sense of what it would actually be like to be an entrepreneur and start a, a venture backed company. Or, uh, and, and Marge had always been like, if, if that's what you think you want to try, you know, I, I'm with you. We'll give it oh, a shot. But I did have stipulations. Like I said, I mean, how it was financially set up, he, you can explain that. But I said, I want the kids college money. I, I, that's yeah. all I want, you know. I can live in an apartment. I, you know, we can do all that stuff, but we're not going to go to that level where we cannot tend our kids. To yeah, the whole like I know Kathy. Some of the entrepreneurs you talk to, they're what I call kind of classic true entrepreneurs, like mortgage the house, yeah, run yep. up credit cards, yep. take a huge personal financial risk. Yeah, we didn't. Do we didn't. Uh, we, we did what's called venture backed, right? So there were venture capitalists mm-hmm. that put money in. So I, I took a big cut from what I had been making as a, by then a kind of a mid-level executive, believe it or not, at IBM, back to a much lower salary. Oh yeah. But it wasn't like we were destitute or running up credit card bills to try to get this business off the ground. We had taken external money. So there was a little bit of risk coverage from a financial standpoint. There was the risk that the business might not work out, of course. And if it didn't, I'd have to go get another job again, (laughs) you know, but, but it wasn't like we were putting... The st- I know that's part of what you talk about. Some of these things, right? The stress on our marriage wasn't financial. It, it, it was a sacrifice of sorts to kind of go mm-hmm. back from having made a lot more money to yeah. less. But it wasn't like mm-hmm. we were like, oh gosh, we might lose our house if this business doesn't work out. It wasn't ever like that, right? Because he had deals at IBM at the time. Like if we had stayed through April, they were called the golden handcuffs. You got this bigger package, so he was yeah. leaving quite a bit of money on the table. So that was hard. But again, I'd call that a 
a sacrifice with quotes, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I had to give something up, but it wasn't like I was putting my family in our ability to have a home or pay the bills or put food on the table. We didn't take that kind of entrepreneurial risk, to be fair. Yeah. So when you left, Mark, so was Tivoli already started? Or when you- I joined Tivoli, it was small, but this is so funny. The world's changed so much. It was going public right as I got here. But in those days, uh-huh. you know, th- it went public with a few hundred people and about 30 million in revenue, which totally could not happen today. But, yeah. but it was small and had really good growth prospects. So I joined then. We grew really well for a year. Then IBM bought it, and all of a sudden, it just exploded inside IBM. But it still felt fairly entrepreneurial. So it was an interesting chance for me to see what kind of a high-growth entrepreneurial-type company felt like, even though technically, for I was there for five years. Four of the five years, we were owned by IBM. But it always felt like we were kind of an independent business. And so when, when three other friends and I decided to start the company, with some venture backing, it was because I think at that point, I felt like, okay, I've seen this. I kind of get what it would take. We're still not guaranteed of success at all, Mm -hmm. but it's like, Mm -hmm. I think we all kind of get it. And I think you said Mark started his first business at 40. I think I was Mm -hmm. 38 when we started. uh, So you you went into an incubation phase with Austin Ventures, which Gave you a salary. Yeah, they gave us kind of a, a, a lower level salary so we wouldn't have to, to live on nothing. To, and they, they actually came up with their idea in this incubation period. Mm. Yeah. So it was about as low risk as a venture approach as we could have had from a financial risk standpoint. And, you know, we came up with an idea that they thought was worth backing. There was always the chance that at the end of a few months of banging around ideas, there was nothing <laughs> that they would nothing there. Back, yeah. And then we would have to go back and just get jobs. I right? don't remember being worried about that though. Like hmm. extremely. Was I? I'm trying Well what was, was funny, funny, Kathy, and I don't want to go too deep into this story more than you want, but this is when there's this concept called the first tech bubble burst. Like, you know, there was the crazy dot com late nineties uh-huh. era. We started this company right at the beginning of 2000. And a few months into that, we hadn't even really launched at all. We hadn't taken much real venture yet. We hadn't hired very many people. This whole bubble burst, they called it. And all of a sudden, it's like nobody wanted to start new tech companies because all of them were blowing Mm -hmm. up all over the landscape. So there was a little bit of, uh uh-oh, this may have been really bad timing to do this. Sure. But that's where his positive personality <laughs> worked out because I probably wasn't as aware or scared because he didn't let on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, Which we'll, is, figure something out. we'll figure something out. I had that. Yeah. Out. So let me uh, camp there for just a minute because I think this is one of the really challenging places mm-hmm. of the entrepreneur journey. Mm-hmm. The spouse that is not, I mean, I've interviewed some spouses where they work together. Right. To start something or they have different roles in the company and many others that like you, Marge, you you had another whole role skill set that was not part of the startup. How much did you guys talk about what was happening or was it need to know? Did you want to know, Marge? I I I knew about it and okay, so there's been two companies, so I'm getting them Mm -hmm. mixed up, but I don't remember doubting it or it, it just was good enough for me kind of, you know, because I was getting to do the role that I wanted to do. It didn't seem to be directly affecting our lifestyle hugely. So mm-hmm. I think, I think probably what I was, I was um, telling her, which I, I wasn't fabricating it to make her feel better. I think I believed it really, which was look, the ultimate safety net here is I'm pretty employable, yeah. right? So if this thing just doesn't yeah. work, 
I can mm-hmm. go get another yeah. job. I was pretty okay. confident, like based on what had happened at Tivoli, I'd had a good run there. I, I ultimately mm-hmm. left the VP of marketing. Yeah. So I'd kind of risen a few layers and I had a big enough job and had a good enough reputation in town. Yeah. I thought, okay, the, the real downside risk here is this company doesn't work. We, yeah. we lose money that we could have made if I'd stayed at IBM and I'd have to go figure out how to get a job again. But ultimately, again, it didn't feel like a, oh, my, I'm putting my family or my wife or my, you know, a great risk that way. It was just like, well, if this doesn't work out, I'll probably have to go get a job, but that's okay. I could probably get a job. You know, that was the downside risk. Okay. Yeah. Mark and I have had some of those conversations along the way. Like what is the worst case scenario? Mm. And once you kind of digest that, I mean, we had that conversation a year ago when COVID hit and, you know, we have an assisted living business. So it was a little risky after the business has been well established. But yeah, it's just interesting how different couples approach that differently. And I get the sense that there's a a team approach. Mm -hmm. And I'm always taught, and it goes back to my background, like how I was educated as a child and everything was like, your greatest asset is your ability to ask questions and, you know, the critical thinking thing, that's just a little mm-hmm. scary that we aren't doing that as much, but, you know, to figure out your answers, you know, we'll figure this out in your, mm-hmm. so your greatest asset is your brain, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Think, but there's yeah, also, Kathy, oh, sorry, uh-huh. I'm cut you off. That, that, you know, you're a counselor by training, right? I think a lot of what we're poking around here that I haven't said the word is fear, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a fear that comes up when people consider taking a step like this, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of what we're talking about is how do you deal with that fear? One of the best ways, I think of all fear, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, don't play one on TV, but <laughs> there's a sense of, well, one of the biggest things I know people hear from counselors about fear is like you just said, you go to that, what's the worst that could happen here? Face that fear, Mm -hmm. kind of name it, figure out how scary it really is. And a lot of times people don't do things because they have these unrealistic fears of what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think we were mature enough back to starting a business at 38. We weren't like Mm -hmm. 28 or even 23, right? I'd been working for 15, 16 years. It's like, okay, I've seen a bit of the world. I've seen business. I think the worst that happens here is this business doesn't make it and there's a little bit of tarnish on my record, but I could probably go get a job. So like, Mm -hmm. okay, I could totally face that fear. And Marge understood like, there's probably no scenario where we have to lose our house or now there was that whole, we got to figure out how to get college paid for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Marge talked about earlier. Right. But, but she was like, as long as the path we're on somehow make sure that we can send our kids to college, kind of high value of education in in her family and mine as well. Like, okay then I don't think we're on a path here that puts that at great risk either, right? Like somehow, some way we'll figure out how to get our kids through college. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah, because I I was in a Facebook group, uh, The Entrepreneur's Spouse, I think it's called. Mm. And it's interesting, some of the women that, it's all women, Mm. will share stories about their husband who has started something and they have, they've mortgaged the house, Mm. they can't pay bills you know, they list this long list of things that is not happening for their family and they're not available to help raise the children that they've had together. And they can't seem to say, okay, this is not going to go. They just keep banging their head against the wall. So yeah, I think it's important to have that worst case scenario idea. Well, and, and like the kind of story you just described, I'm afraid this, this, you know, there's a lot of debates about the pros and cons of raising outside capital, venture capital, even friends and family capital versus bootstrapping, doing it yourself. 
one of the things that people forget of the advantages of outside money is like at some point you have to start delivering or the money gets cut off. Sadly, a lot of times these ugly stories are when it's just the entrepreneur bootstrapping and they they just keep believing somehow, some way they're going to make it work. And it's like a gambler who goes to Vegas with no limit. Like, like yeah. I tell people, look, I'm not a big gambling fan, but if you go and treat it like entertainment, I'm going to, I'm going to take a thousand dollars. Like that's my entertainment value of Vegas. And as mm-hmm. long as you don't spend more than a thousand, now you may be done in an hour. I don't know what you're going to do the rest of the weekend in Vegas, but if you limit it, like if more people went into entrepreneurship saying, here's how far I'm willing to go. And if I get to that point and we're not successful, I'm stopping. But yeah. that sadly, people, no, 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 this will, I think we're almost there. We're, we're about to make it work. And they keep, you know, mortgaging more or borrowing more. And, and thankfully, as a venture backed entrepreneur, we never had that, like, there was no sense of trashing our own family in the pursuit of this entrepreneurial dream. Like, this will either work or the venture guys just won't give us more money and the company will be over. Right. There, it was kind of a black and white thing in that way. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of a hard limit. Like, it's when the money's. Limit gone. If you're not making money, we're not going to keep throwing money at it. Yeah, that's a good perspective. Yeah, Helpful it, to see. To help. So you started, what was the name of the company that you started in 2005? It's called WaveSet. It was, it was a Wave very Set. similar market space. The companies I've been involved with for these 20 years now have been kind of tech companies focused on generally called an element of the security landscape called identity. If you just think about how do you keep track of all the passwords and accounts that people need at work. You know, we all have these at home, right? We all have accounts and passwords to log mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about that in a business to business context, you're working at, you know, big bank or the government or big retailer or whatever, people that work in those places, they have a lot of systems they need access and a lot of accounts. And, you know, there's a lot of complexity keeping track of all that. The companies we've been involved with have all been in that realm of what's called identity management. Like okay. who are the identities you care about? And what do they have access to at work? And how do you keep that accurate as people change jobs or they leave the company or the businesses merges with other businesses? There's just a lot of complexity in that realm in the enterprise world. That's where we've been for about 20 years in a couple of different companies. Okay. I always find it interesting, too, how people's interests have evolved. I mean, here oh, you sure. went from you thought you wanted to be an attorney and you went to IBM and... Was that in sales it at was. IBM? And I always said, I don't like computers and I don't think I'm very good at sales. So the last thing I ever <laughs> would be selling for a computer company. And guess what? That's exactly where I landed. Mm-hmm. Kind of funny. So did you have strengths that you just weren't aware of yet? Do you think, Mark? Or how do you explain that evolution? Um, some of both. I think I had been involved in a lot of leadership stuff over the years, but not, again, not entrepreneurial entrepreneurial forms of leadership, you know, student council and, you know, those kinds of, and and being the captain of various sports teams. Like I was kind of a leader by style. Like people tended to gravitate to me that way as a leader, but I was often not the top leader. And I always kind of thought I'll be a good number two to somebody or I'll, I'll help something. But again, in the business context, I just kind of went into the business community thinking I'll never do my own thing. I'll just work for businesses, right? Big companies. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, there was definitely some learning along the way, some mentoring of people saying, I think you could do this or getting close enough to some of it and meeting some people and going, oh, now that I see that up close, it, back to our fear thing, that doesn't look yeah. as scary as I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, and again, I think just learning and listening along the way there's there's a spiritual dimension to this of trying to listen to where god was leading us and what doors were opening or not opening 
just kind of an important personal part of this story, I guess I'll interject here. My mom died pretty early of cancer. Mm. And that's when we were in Northern California. And I, I've often wondered, you know, we had only two of our three kids at that point. Um, and, and I stayed another year at HP. And that's when I then took the job to come to Austin to work for Tivoli. And okay. I don't know that I would have taken the risk, quote unquote, to move and do some of that. If my mom had stayed alive, I think we would have still been a bit more gravitated to staying in California. Still might have gone down a our entrepreneurial path. It's just like it's one of those um, those things where uh, there's a passage you and I both know that talks about, you know, all things work together for good. Not And people mis- misunderstand that Bible passage. It's not that all things are good. <laughs> that God can work good out of all things, including some things that are negative. When my mom passed away at 57, which sounds a lot younger now that I'm 58. Um, yeah. Like when I was 32, 57 sounded like a good long life. <laughs> um, not yeah. so much now. No. Right? Um, and so there was a sense of, okay, that was a bad thing, right? It wasn't good for my mom to die that early at all. But it did, I think, in a weird way, open our minds to thinking about maybe not needing to stay in California, being willing to make a move you know, again, Marge said she grew up in Hawaii. I grew up in Southern California. If you'd asked us if we'd ever lived in Texas when we were young, we would have gone, why on earth would we move to Texas? Where's, where's the water? <laughs> I, I grew up on an island. Like it was either Malka or Makai, towards the water or towards the mountain. So uh, I was just like, I still have no sense of direction. North, south, east, west, don't even bother with that because I can't. <laughs> I, I My brain doesn't do it. Just tell me where the beach is. Yeah. If I know where the coastline is, I can figure it out. Yeah. But, yeah, we did yeah. mention that for our anniversary last week, we're in Florida. We finally learned that yes. from Texas, the best beaches we can get to are kind of in that coast of Gulf Coast of Florida. So we go there a lot <laughs> to, uh, that's, to get to those beaches. But I I don't feel, I think you were more tied to not moving than I was. Yeah, I think Marge, having come from at least some military family mm-hmm. background, was more fluid. She didn't grow up around a lot of extended family. I, I a whole lot of our rooted family, both sides were in California by that point. And so I, I wasn't sure I was willing to move. It's not that I was necessarily dead set against it. It just never really occurred to me. Like most people were coming to California from somewhere else. Like, why would I leave California? I'm already here. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it was kind of a, I think that circumstance had at least something to do with us being willing, at least maybe more me being willing to come. And even then, honestly, we thought it was temporary. I think we thought we'll try it for a few years. We'll probably move back, you know. Well, you didn't get the job the first round. Yeah, actually, I interviewed once in 93 and didn't get a job here. And then they called them back up. And I came and I came. He was in like, I guess you were the second choice. Yep. Or third. <laughs> and that guy hadn't worked out. So. <laughs> and that was the Tivoli? That was yeah. coming to work for Tivoli. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, you know, kind of back to how do people make these choices and whether they pursue yeah. entrepreneurial things. Sometimes the path is anything but straight and clear and obvious, right? Yes. Looking back, it all kind of makes sense, but looking forward, not so much. Yeah. And in your, maybe it's in the forward of your book or a description of the book, but you really do credit Marge for being the one that, uh, I think the quote is, she was instrumental in helping me step out of my comfort zone and have the confidence to pursue an entrepreneurial journey. So Marge, what, what were down? you seeing? <laughs> I wrote that down. Wow. It's, yeah. it's in writing all yeah, over I the place. not good. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I distinctly remember Marge having a gun to my head when I was no. writing that particular passage. <laughs> what were you seeing, Marge, that you wanted to encourage that aspect of his life? Some of it was just common sense, like, 
he had gone, while he was at IBM, he had gotten his MBA while he was working, had this program at UCLA. And so I'm like, well, you got this business degree. So I didn't feel, I felt like if you want to use your degree to be a businessman, (laughs) you know, I don't, I didn't feel I had the right to hold him back from taking that risk, especially Mark's a really good talker. He's a very good convincer. <laughs> good salesman. Yeah. Doctor in the and me, best sales job ever. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Wait, you just figured that out. How did this all happen? I have no idea. Honey, honey. My whole life I've been bamboozled. That's what happened. You're happily bamboozled. Yeah. Happily bamboozled. And now I know the title for your podcast, The Couple yeah. That Was Bamboozled. <laughs> our, our our little grandson who when he first started talking his first line was like how'd that happen you know is, you know how and he would always say that so that's what we always say to him how did that happen, that happen? with this that company happened. with the success we're like how'd that happen i still i feel like <laughs> we often feel like we're watching ourselves in a movie we talk yeah. about that all the time like how on earth did this happen what are we doing Partly here? because it was winging it and it was it was somewhat of an adventure and because I had left Hawaii to go to college. And so I was told, raised to go places, explore the world. Mm-hmm. My other sisters went to other all over the mainland colleges. So it's it was and Mark hadn't grown up like that. He had grown up in Church of Christ. Going to San Diego was a big deal from L.A. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah. big whoop. But Two that's hours in his away. family. It was so <laughs> it was like. We came from very different backgrounds is basically what happened with that. Yeah. So I just was, why wouldn't you try? And I was, I made myself comfortable with it not being successful. Hmm. I think Marge mentioned that story of seeing her dad have some success, have some, I'll say failure, just lack mm-hmm. of great success for a little while. Yeah, right. And, and it was hard for their family for a little while. And then oh, yeah. they saw themselves kind of get back on their feet at some level. And she kind of, that, Sort of like again, if that's the that that's the worst that can happen, and and we didn't even yeah. see at the point I finally tried this that that scenario was actually very likely that I would actually be out of work for an extended time and unable to find something like it, it just didn't look at all like yeah. that was a likely outcome for us, right? Yeah. So, well, when you look at the failure rate of startups, it's oh, yeah. pretty darn high. So the chances are quite good that it's. Yeah, not gonna make it. So, uh, and I don't know why I didn't even look at the failure rates <laughs> at the time. I mean, I really, I don't know. <laughs> Salesman, <laughs> it's all gonna be fine, honey. Trust I me, honey. Trust me. <laughs> well, and then you started the company in two thousand five. We all know what happened in two thousand eight. Yes. And how did that impact your company? Well, funny, yeah, and, and real quick, reverse, just to tell that the story happened mm-hmm. twice. The last time we started in 00, and of course, late 01 is 9-11. We get mm-hmm. through that. Company has a decent exit, they call it, right? We sold that business uh, to Sun, a big tech company of that era. Then we start this one. And again, as you said, Kathy, two, three years into it, like, uh-oh, <laughs> another big crisis in the landscape. Mm-hmm. So I, in both cases, it was sort of that Kind of like Mark said, I guess I'm, I'm gifted with a, a pretty high level of optimism of, okay, somehow, some way we'll figure this out. And, and you know, building, a, we haven't talked about it, probably won't on this call much, but just 
big, big on company culture and hiring the right kind of people and building the right kind of camaraderie on a team. And then when you do that, you sort of get to see those things tested and proven in a, in a crisis. And I think we, we just saw, saw the company, even though it was pretty little back in those days, 25, 30 people, I think, in the 08 crisis, just we had to weather a pretty tough crisis. We sort of hunkered down. We just kind of said, okay, we're going to kind of hold on to each other and get through this. And we can stretch out our money to last longer and kind of get a handful of customers. And then if we can make it through this storm, uh, you know, we'll be okay. Funny how that, I hadn't thought about that comparison to the pandemic that much, but you know, similar thing of like, let's just hold on and get through this because it isn't going to last forever. Whatever else is true. It's not going to last forever. might last longer than we want, but it won't last forever. And there, there are all, it wasn't always smooth sailing. There were some downtimes and the hardest times for Mark, which is when I did see him when he was quieter, which is, that's unusual for him. Mm. And when he was, it scared me because I'm like, Ooh, it's not good if he's not being as positive. And it was when they had to lay off some people to cut costs at one point because the numbers weren't right on financially. And he hated that. Yeah, It was really like scary for him. It felt a huge responsibility to and knows the people that work for him. They're all, he's also the company supporting families and mm-hmm. You know, it's it that was very hard on him to see mm-hmm. him go through that. Yeah, and every marriage has ups and downs, right? Mm-hmm. Every, every, every marriage mm-hmm. has good seasons, has hard seasons, and we learn and we grow together. But when you add the entrepreneurial piece over that, mm-hmm. and just as you said, the reality that those jobs you're responsible for these jobs. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd love to hear a little more about how you guys handled that together, how you faced that challenge together as a couple. Huh. I mean... Well, I mean, our faith is huge. Right. You know. Kind of have a, I have a, have a phrase I sometimes use, you know, small God, big problems, big God, small mm-hmm. problems. Yeah. You know, there's a sense of, okay, well, whatever we're facing, how are we going to get through that? And I think, you know, so we haven't talked about some of this entrepreneurial journey was when our family was younger and, and the kids were smaller. And I think that that's an interesting dynamic, right? Because on the one hand, I would have some weighty things sometimes, like I was dealing with at work, but I also knew I had, I had ultimately expected and asked Marge to take a bit of a heavier load. I was a pretty involved dad, given that I was an entrepreneur, but not as involved, for instance, as my dad had been around the house because mm-hmm. he worked a more traditional nine to five job. And mm-hmm. so there were some trade-offs and, and there are times I thought, well, I can't come dump this on Marge because she's got her own load. She's carrying with three young kids and a lot of responsibility with that. So there it, were times it was hard. It wasn't so much the workload. Like I'm a pretty industrial per- person. So like it wasn't that. It wasn't the maintaining a family and all that. It was more... I was really good at nagging him to step in when something was going on with the kids, like morally, ethically, socially development thing, Mm -hmm. which I thought was like a a serious time, even though it was on a child's level, it was a big deal to that kid. And you got, you got to go and have that conversation. And, Mm -hmm. and he's always done that 
responded to that, you know. Yeah, back to the perception thing. Yeah. I, I was a pretty tuned in dad, but Marge was more tuned in to the kids. And so I think we, maybe it was sort of tacit. I don't know how much we talked about it sometimes, but it sort of developed like, hey, I'm available to you. Now, I'm not always going to pick up on everything you pick up on, but if yeah. I need to step in, I will step in. And sometimes it wasn't perfect. Back to the entrepreneurial sacrifices, Kathy, you talked about. I, I've told people, look, you know, I can't tell you you'll never miss anything. You probably will as an entrepreneur miss some things. I don't feel like I ever missed anything really big. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't miss a graduation or a big game or a big concert or a big like I didn't make every game. I didn't make everything, but I made a lot. But but I think Marge knew like if I if I needed to be there, I'd either be there right then kind of thing if I could, or if, if not soon, like I wasn't going to, Hey, sorry, I'm really busy for the next month. I can't, <laughs> I can't mm-hmm. get to that. Right. There was no sense of, Hey, you got to handle this. Cause I'm so busy being this important entrepreneur. It was like, look, yeah. I've got my, like Mark said, we sort of came to this division of responsibilities thing, I guess, kind of, yeah. but, but it was still teamwork, yeah. totally still teamwork. How did you address that with your kids? I'm curious. Like, did you, did they know what you do for work or is it just dad's gone? We don't know what he's doing and he's not here. They're very aware of it. Okay. They really understand it at one level. I, I think yeah. once early on, I left like one of my little ones, at wh- whichever one it was and how they were still pretty little. Hey, what do you think I do? You go to meetings and talk on the phone. It's like, <laughs> okay, that, that's pretty that's accurate actually. Oh, yeah. As a manager and a leader of a company, you go to meetings and talk on the phone. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I tried to get them fairly involved and aware. And, and Marge mentioned it briefly earlier. You know, all of our kids are awesome. One of them more favors my personality, two of them a little more hers. And we sort of figured that out early on and kind of figured out how to try to relate to both the ones that were like us and the ones that were more like our spouse. And, and, yeah. and I think we, we'd have all three of them tell you, honestly, they had really great relationships with both of us because we worked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, but we talked about parenting a lot. Like, yeah, we did you know, trying to creatively parent. Yeah. Yeah. We both had a high commitment to that. We were involved in, in groups at church where there was a peer group, you know, young families, Mm -hmm. young parents, where always there were peers to kind of bounce things off of. And generally somebody who was a mentor, like older couple who was helping give us some guidance. We were very blessed to have a lot of that along our journey. And now of course we've tried to do that, be mentors to to younger families and younger parents and such. But yeah, I think I think we looked. We're I guess a word I haven't used on this that I feel like is important is intentionality, right? We mm-hmm. we are intentional about these are important things. We're going to invest time and energy here. And to your point, Kathy, that sometimes meant sacrifices relative to work. Like it was a trick. Mm-hmm. Sometimes work caused sacrifices at home. Sometimes home caused sacrifices at work. And we we kind of negotiated those trade offs all the time. It wasn't one sided. It wasn't like work always wins, yeah. home sacrifices. It was but not. It, at it all. wasn't always easy for him to do, but I'm tenacious about certain things. I'm like, you're, you're not, this is, we have to do this. You know, you have yeah. to step in, you have to be part of this because it would be that emergency urgent in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And, and just, it sounds like keeping the priorities. Not that they weren't priorities for you, Mark, but it's easy, I would imagine, to get just what's urgent is right in front of you. Totally. And knowing and trusting Marge to handle everything at home, but parenting is a two-person process. Totally. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, we have a son and two daughters, right? I'd say as, as our son, who's the oldest, but more like Marge's personality, as he got to being a young teen, even kind of late preteen, I think she figured out he was going to want to more connect with me because he was, mm -hmm. he was not a mama's boy, right? Very kind of right. macho, ended up playing football all the way through college, coaches football. He's, he's not a meathead, <laughs> but, yeah. but he, he was kind of a, I want to be a strong manly man type guy. And Got so, her. Yeah, strong, godly, manly man. And yeah. but he's like, so I need to hang around with dad because that's how I'm going to learn to be a man. I love my mom, but I don't want to hang around mom to learn how to be a man. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. yet personality wise, I didn't as easily relate to him because he's pretty different personality than me in a lot of ways. And and the reverse with my middle daughter, Rachel, who's more like my personality. But because she was a girl, mom spent a lot of time getting her through those teen years, which are. Yes. Are, are a oh, thing. she was. She was sunshine and rainbows, though. Oh, yeah, but you, yeah. you had some work you had to do with <laughs> yeah. both girls. Just, I mean, kids are kids. They they have to negotiate yeah. the whole social minefield, and there's some tricky mm -hmm. stuff there. And, yeah. and we both I, would engage. I grew up with all girls, so having a son was really a big deal to me. And then he kind of like middle school, it was like, hmm, you know, that's it, mom. Yeah, back off. This isn't your territory anymore. And I had to choose. I remember specifically choosing not to be hurt by that rejection yeah. because I wanted him to become a man. I didn't yep. want him to always, you know, need me. I wanted him his meet his wife, not me, you know, right. so I, so wise. I, it was like, so I specifically tried to be respectful of that instead of mm -hmm. getting manipulating him or doing the guilt thing on him to get him back in, you know, in my clutches, I, I I really was like watching this little man grow up, and it was like mm. I I could really mess this up because I knew how much he loved me too, so I could mm -hmm. play the guilt game on him. Yeah, and I thought about it a lot. I think about the cycle. You're a therapist, you know this stuff, mm -hmm. and so I that's mm -hmm. I tried to think about all that and intentionally not do that to my son. Right. Our job is to work ourselves out of a job mm -hmm. and give them roots and wings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds yep. like you guys did that well. Yep. You talked a little bit about one of the times that was really hard, Marge, just watching him having to lay off some people and how just gut-wrenching. I, I, that is so hard. What mm -hmm. about a high point in this entrepreneurial journey and starting uh, what became SailPoint? What's been a high point for each of you? You go first. <laughs> oh, man, I was going to make you go first. Um, I need to think. Well, I, you know, there's some business high points that are sort of well-documented, hard not to get excited about having done an IPO, right? It's sort of a, if yeah. you are an entrepreneur, you know, someday taking your company public is like a big thing. And honestly, I never aspired to that, nor honestly thought it was going to happen. <laughs> At mm. the time we started, I just assumed again, this was the second company. The first one lasted four or five years and got sold. I assumed that was what was going to happen again, right? Just that was the expectation. And so just the, the, the crazy journey all the way through to an IPO and, and being a public company CEO, just never thought it was going to happen, didn't plan for it, didn't aspire to it. And it's been a fascinating journey. Again, I, in some ways I feel like half like, I don't know what I'm doing some days. And a lot of times, like, I can't believe this is what's happened, but it's been fun. I, the high points, though, probably for me are some of the emotional high points of, of just the team 
you know, clicking and, and just feeling like, wow, this is going so great. It leads to good business success, but just like, just looking around the room sometimes going, I just love the people I'm working with. They're such great people. I, I, given that I'm working, I can't imagine working with people I like any more than these people, right? I just felt that along, along the journey, actually with different teams now <laughs> over the course of the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's been a lot of it. I just love the, the people side of it. Yeah, I get emotional about that stuff too. Like people I've really known through conversations with Mark and hearing about, you know, how well they have done. He's not a lone ranger. This has all been a team effort. And so mm-hmm. when people retire or move on or I, I get just as sad as everybody else because I feel like, oh no, are they going to be okay without that person? And then somebody yeah. else incredible comes along and contributes and it makes his job easier. So, you know, that's been fun. But for me, I think this is a little bit of a story, but we went to New York and we got, these were the, were the these weren't the private equity people. No, this was the bankers that ended Banker. up helping us. We went through a private equity they got stage more funding from on, the, on the way banking. to public. Yeah. And we go there and we go to a house in Manhattan, you know, with a yard and a big tree in the back in Manhattan. So the, there aren't a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're sitting there and it, it's Mark and his Kevin, his co-founder. co-founder. And, you know, I'm just going and they're talking about the pedigree of everything and getting their kids nannies and getting them into the right preschool. And I'm like, so not my world. Right. And I felt like a country bumpkin basically <laughs> sitting there. And then, and then I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute you guys are making these people a whole lot of money. So I kind of rethought my thinking about it dawned on me that we're getting wined and died by these people that did everything right by the book, went to the best schools and the, you know, the the New York mentality, right. Of the, Mm -hmm. that area. And here we are, this little company from Texas and feeling like the country bumpkin. And, and then it dawned on me, no, wait a minute they're making all this money because of all the work you guys did and Mm -hmm. you're being smart about this, your space. So I, I, I think that was a high point for me in like confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Affirmation. Yeah. Like it's really working. Yeah. Yeah. I know Mark talked about early in the business. He was like, people really think I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you, you're a psychologist or counsel. You know this. There's this what's the term? Imposter syndrome. That's a oh, thing. Oh yeah. Right? Like yeah. It's like, like if people really if they knew, only knew. Right. If they only really <laughs> knew how little I know what I'm doing, they'd be freaked yeah. out. Yeah. And how do you guys celebrate those high times? Mm. Gosh. Or do you? We're probably more focused on family cel- yeah. from the celebration. I mean, there've been some big milestones yeah. in the, the company. The big milestones yeah. are neat, and yeah, and um, we're just amazed by it. Like, but we don't, we don't, how have we celebrated? I don't know. The company stuff? Well, like, I don't know if I call it celebrating exactly. One of the fun things we talked about relatively recent empty nests, like, you know, did all of this travel. The companies have both been pretty global, like all over the world and teams all mm-hmm. over Europe and Asia and such. And, you know, in the last handful of years, since we really became true empty nesters, like Marge got to tag along to places like oh, yeah. Australia or Japan or yeah. India, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like, okay, that's been kind of fun. Like it's not exactly a celebration, but like sometimes we get to tack on a little bit of actual fun vacation time to an otherwise pretty yeah. intense business trip. And those yeah. have been kind of 
ways to celebrate in some ways because like oh we're 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 getting a neat benefit from the company's success. That's that's right. a little treat for both of us. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, with all the crazy success the company has had, I, I think we probably tend to more celebrate family thing. Like I think March would tell you much more about the last one year old birthday party we just went to than <laughs> you know the IPO. <laughs> yeah. The IPO was in 2017, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Coming up on yeah. four years, hard to believe. Wow. How has it changed since you went public, Mark? Um, a lot in some ways and less than others than I thought. At one level, mm. people see IPOs in the business world like a, like a finish line. You'll heard the term mm-hmm. exit. And it's, mm-hmm. it's such a bad term, right? It's not an exit because you don't get off or get out. It's an important milestone, but you, the, the idea is you keep going yeah. through that. <laughs> you right. have a responsibility to stay because if the CEO leaves right after the IPO, the stock will go down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. More than likely. Yes. So I, I sort of got the lecture from a couple of my good buddies who are on my board to say, look, you need to know if you go through this gate, you're going to, barring something really bad happening, you're going to be in this chair for a while. So we had yeah. to talk about that and were we okay with that? And I guess if I'm honest, I thought back then, like, yeah, I think I can make it three to five more years. I don't know. This has been a long run. I'm kind of getting old and tired. Now I'm like, gosh, I think I could go a lot longer. I'm having a blast. It's really fun. We're we're doing well. And but yeah, it's it's definitely there will be an end point. Yeah, at some point there's a every athlete becomes an ex-athlete. You have to do that. And we've all seen those that stay too long, and that's always a painful story. Yeah, kind of be one of those stories. One of the things that think about as a family or couple is if you go public, it's everything's public. Yeah. That, that about, not so, and fun. so your finances is your public. So yeah. it's, what, what I, I don't think about it that much, but every once in a while I worry about that being known or that being intimidating to somebody or, you know, cause that's not what it's about for us. It's not about mm-hmm. the financial gain. Mm-hmm. And I think if you, if you go into being an entrepreneur just because you want to make a lot of money, I just don't know how well you're going to do if that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this money side benefit in my mind to all the being able to grow, help grow a company, provide jobs, yeah, or solve problems, provide jobs, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, a lot problems. of this, the, the the family, the team you build in your own company, and and more so with what Mark does, which is a. Uh, your mark as a, as a quote, mm-hmm. better cause, so to speak, but like, you know, providing some great service or product. Yeah. I mean, those are the things that are motivating. And yeah, if you do well at that, the, the measuring stick in the business world is you get paid for that. Right. And that, mm-hmm. that is fun. But I think, yeah, like Mark said, if you, if you go into entrepreneurship, either because you want to make a lot of money or you don't want to boss, I always tell people, those are pretty bad reasons to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think some people have the idea that it's it's a get rich quick kind of thing, totally. but it's it's a long road for, and it's a for, high risk. It is it's a high risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's this one of the venture guys I worked with early on. I remember him saying, you know, starting a business, as you said, Kathy, whatever nine out of ten, ninety nine out of hundred, whatever the ugly stats are, you know, mm-hmm. most of them fail, right? So like, seventy five percent one of the riskiest things you can do. Mm-hmm. So from the moment you start a business. Everything else you do is somewhat about mitigating that risk, right? Like, how do I hire great people? How do I make sure I have adequate financing? How do I double and triple check that my customer needs are legitimate and the product I'm service I'm delivering is in fact the how best one? How do you one. look ahead? How do you look ahead of what could happen in the environment the around you? Or- I mean, it's just like that's where all the real work is. Like, 
How do you mitigate the risk? Because inherently, there's so many things that could go wrong in a business that you can't predict. <laughs> like, right. It's all about trying to mitigate whatever risk you can so that you have the highest likelihood of getting success. And again, I, I'm a team biased person, but like the best mis- risk mitigator is hiring great people and creating yeah. an environment where they love to be there. That's going to help you survive a lot of problems, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. What are some things that you guys have done through the years to keep your marriage strong and get to 35 years and what, seven days? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it used to be that I would take business trips regularly to give her a break, but COVID <laughs> kind of screwed that up. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I think we understand each other's personalities and we have this area within our sphere of our personalities where we have conflict. Usually, ah. It's usually the same storyline where I'm overwhelmed with the busyness and I need a, a checkout time. Uh-huh gather up more energy because I'm an introvert and he doesn't need that, but he is, he's actually understands it. So that helps. But my tipping point is much lower than his on how much we're doing. And that's where we can have conflict. Cause I just, it's like, I'm not happy. I'm Mm -hmm. not happy going from thing to thing to thing. I, I, Mm -hmm. I can't, you know? And so we will hit those points where it's been, it's been the schedule is mainly, yeah, where we and but we know that about each other. So we have to have that uncomfortable conversation where mm-hmm. I have to fight for. I'm not doing anymore right now. Right. I need a break a and, boundary. And yeah. he has his high level of obligations to people. And my wife now is not able to live up to that expectation. I, you yeah. know, I just I, I burn out basically is what happens. Sure. Well, and if you know anything about introverts, you understand that. You know, did yeah. you guys do personality assessments of any kind that helped you illuminate this? Or yeah, uh, I've done he's, probably all of them in in the he's work off context. Off the charts, everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I've done Myers and Disc and Berkman and yeah. everything. But... And as an introvert, I hate taking those tests. <laughs> and I, I was made to take those tests with every group that he has us join, and so. That's another thing of contention. So I'm like, yeah, yeah I know. I I sound like a grumpy <laughs> old man or something. You're not, no, you're a grumpy old lady. It's much <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marge, was there one that you liked better than the others, or did you hate them I all equally? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. I don't know. I, I think after a while, I didn't want her to have to take them, so I wouldn't even suggest it anymore or whatever. Yeah. I, mean, I think you're like, I know what I am. And well, that's it. I, I mean, know what I am. And right. I, it, I don't know. I, I don't think I can change that part about myself. Nor should you. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's it's deceptive. Like you said, Kathy, I, I had like a lot of people a misunderstanding of introversion, right? I thought an introvert was like a, a librarian who couldn't look up and look people in the mm-hmm. eye, not someone who enjoys people. Marge is a great people person. But the, but the definition in is how do you get seconds. energy, right? How do you recharge batteries? I recharge mm-hmm. batteries by being around more people. I get all pumped up when I'm around. But when Marge is tired, she needs to get away from people to recharge batteries. And so, like she said, that's been our point of negotiation of, and, and by the way, you know, I guess the real answer, I think you started with the question of, you know, how have we, how have we made it work? What have we learned? To me, it's, it's what we're doing now. It's communication, right? Like, Keep short accounts is one of the best small pieces of advice I think we ever got. Like, you know, don't let stuff fester. If you're struggling, frustrated with something, you got to talk about it. 
got to get it out on the table. Got to figure out what's going on, you know. But also because I have that personality, I am totally fine if he goes off and does all the stuff he wants to do and I get a break. And as an entrepreneur, so it works in that sense. Yeah, that's been a change for us as empty nesters. Like when the kids were little, I felt really bad. Like I'd miss dinner if I was on the road, of course, but always like I, I wanted to be home and around to help. And she wanted that, I think, back in the day for sure. Well, now I've learned it's actually great with her if I have a couple of work dinners where I'm out and she's not. And that's actually fine for the work situation. And, and Marge, Marge gets a break and it's good for the marriage. And like that was a totally new learning for me. Like, oh, mm-hmm. so it's better for me to say yes to this dinner than stay home with you and make you crazy by sticking home. Okay. I'm wanting to talk constantly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 How great to have that understanding though. Right. And we are evolving. I mean, y'all are in a fairly new phase of life as empty nesters and it does bring some challenges as well as opportunity. Totally. Yeah. Is there something you know now about marriage, and especially in this intersection point with entrepreneurship, that you would share with couples who are a little farther behind? Boy, that's a that's a really <laughs> big question. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, at some level, we've hit some of the points, I guess, if I was going to crystallize it a little, I'd say, look, you know, going into any kind of business role, but particularly entrepreneurship, although, Kathy, I would argue going to be a pastor (laughs) isn't that different. You know I mean? Like any kind of thing where one, particularly one spouse, and it could be either spouse, obviously, goes hard after something that's got a lot of intensity and maybe a lot of risk. So it could be a lot of things that fall into that, Mm -hmm. right? That this this commitment to saying, we're going to talk about the issues as we go along and never let this kill our marriage, right? It's almost that simple. Like you have to say, I'm starting with the assumption that if, if something has to give, it's going to be the business, not the marriage, right? And, mm. you know, an interesting corollary that I think a lot of parents, frankly, unfortunately, a lot of Christian parents don't get is you have to be more committed to your marriage than your kids. And like a lot of young moms particularly don't get that. Like, look, look, let, let me be clear with you. This part of your marriage is going to end faster than you think. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to right. snap your fingers and wake up and all those kids that you think are the center of your life are gone. So yeah. if you want to have a decent life for the two of you after that, you better you better stay focused on a healthy relationship between the two of you as you parent. And I think it's, in that sense, it's analogous. Like, sure, go pursue a business thing. Go pursue entrepreneurship. Go pursue thing. But but don't ever lose sight of the fact that marriage, it, it isn't just going to naturally survive that unless you are intentional and committed to, to making it a good marriage. And if you chase, because I would argue men sacrifice their marriages often on the altar of entrepreneurship. Women often do it on kids. Like mm-hmm. they're so into their kids. That's when the guy wakes up and goes, you don't ever pay attention to me anymore. I'm out of here. Right. right. I mean, those right. stories are kind of painful too. So I think both, both members of a couple have to stay committed to this marriage is important and it matters more than anything else. And so we're going to spend energy and time on it. And that sometimes means other things have to pay the price. Mm-hmm. What would you say? That was a lot of words, as usual, from me. Mark will say it far more quickly than me. <laughs> as far as entrepreneurship. Well, kind of at the intersection of healthy marriage and entrepreneurship or just marriage in general because we both had the dream of marriage Mm. you know we want we wanted that we wanted the marriage we want the family 
it wasn't just, it was like, I don't know, <laughs> it was just the total commitment to marriage. That was never a not, not going to be married option. So when you have that in your head, but we both came from parents who stayed married. So we didn't have a script in our head that said otherwise, you know, the commit, you know, which a lot of people have to battle. And so I don't know what that's like. So I I wouldn't want to be critical of somebody who, you know, had that as an op, you know, in their head. And so I think we just, and we enjoy each other and he's very funny. So that's fun to be married to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty fun note to end on. Mm -hmm. And I just want to thank you guys again so much for sharing your wisdom and 35 years of marriage and all that has gone into the marriage and the business. And so thank you very much for persisting. I know, Mark, we had to (laughs) communicate a lot and I really really appreciate it guys thank you it was fun i hope it's helpful and and like say i i I commend people that are trying this journey it is hard at times but i think it's like you said kathy it doesn't have to be an either or right you can certainly have some level of business success i think if 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 those doors are open and possible but boy don't don't ever don't ever sacrifice the marriage to get there that's for sure yeah i love that all right thanks you guys we'll see you soon thanks kathy thanks. thanks a lot Thanks so much for listening and coming along on this journey with us. If you enjoyed this episode, I'll bet you know someone else that might also find it helpful. Sharing an episode is super easy. You can also give a rating or leave a useful comment. And all of these things help the show rankings, which then helps others find the show. Thank you in advance for being an action taker. You can find a full transcript at kathyrushing.com. And if you have a burning question or a comment you'd like to leave, you can now leave me a voicemail, and I'll include it in a future episode. Just click the link in the show notes, and voila, your voice will show up in my inbox. You're building a life together. Make it a great one. See you next time.